Kia ora koutou and welcome to this week's episode of Let's Get Sexual. I am Alicia and I'm the host of this sexually explorative podcast. This is the first official full episode and I would be lying if I said I wasn't nervous or that this wasn't hard, particularly as this is probably like the 50th take of this and it has taken me so long to edit. You know, I'm not known for my tech savviness, but it's actually overall been a lot of fun. And in this episode, my sister Brie and I discuss our sexuality stories, which are really, really interesting, and I can't wait for you to listen. I thought it would be a fitting way to start this podcast by looking at the foundation of our sexuality, which is our sexuality journeys. Some of you may already be aware of the concept of a personal money story which is basically a collection of beliefs and experiences associated with money that was founded during your early years, kind of from your family and your friends. Well, rather than money and finances, our sexuality story explores the collective beliefs, messages, and behaviours that were learned during our formative years about sexuality. For example, relationships, sex, intimacy, connection, and sexual orientation. These messages are likely to have affected your life and might still be affecting your life to this day. So, Brie has joined me for this episode because it is so much more interesting exploring and discussing sexuality stories with someone else, so that you're not listening to like 50 minutes of me just discussing mine. In order to discuss our sexuality stories though, Brie and I had to do the mahi. We created a list of questions that would prompt us to identify the messages and beliefs we've picked up during our childhood and explore how they affected us. We came up with quite a few questions, so we split them into two groups. The first group of questions focused on helping us to identify the key messages and beliefs about sexuality that we learned during our childhood, whereas the second group of questions explored how these beliefs have affected our lives and how we want to change these stories. So although Brie and I delved into these questions separately and journaled our own answers over a series of sessions, it was a really great experience coming together and sharing a few of the things that came up for us. This episode captures only some of those discussions because it takes so long to go into this and we talked for hours. So, you know, 40 or 50 minutes is a rough capture. What I love about this episode is it's just two sisters having a conversation about our feelings, some of the insights we've gained, and the growth that both of us have gone through over the years. One of the very annoying things that happened to us, as I said, not very tech savvy, is that the first conversation we recorded, I used the wrong recording technology and it turned out so shit. So we actually had to record this all over again. And one thing I really hate from that is we lost so many good nuggets from our first conversation. But that's just the way conversations go. Each one flows differently and there's not much I can do about that. I'm sure in future episodes what we talked about will come up. But we actually did explore a few areas in the most recent version, which is what you guys are getting, that actually never came up before. And that's what's really awesome about this. There is never an end to what you can discuss about your sexuality story or what is on top for you. And if you'd like to do something similar and explore your own sexuality story, I will cover the questions and the process we went through in a separate short episode that I'll post after this. And I'll also post the questions and process on the Instagram page. Welcome to my journey of creating a podcast and getting used to hearing about different people's sexuality and learning, hopefully, because that's what I'm really hoping, right? That's my journey is I just want to be learning and getting curious and 
acquiring more knowledge and skills and insight so that I can lead a more pleasurable life, basically. You know, shouldn't we all want to lead a more pleasurable life? I am so excited to have you here listening to this episode. Could just be my mum and my sisters and any friends I've dragged into this, but that's fantastic. Even one person listening, I'm in. As is important when talking about these topics, I want to highlight the trigger warnings. Since we are talking about sexuality, there will unfortunately always be a potential that the content is triggering. Each of us has different sexuality stories, and I can't promise that what we discuss will not affect you in some way. In this episode, we discuss shame and masturbation, our relationship with our bodies, and other vulnerable areas of our sexuality. However, we do not discuss any sexual harassment or assault we have experienced, in case you're worried about that surfacing. These topics may come up in later episodes, but I'll ensure to provide a trigger warning when such discussions are had. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hey Brie, thanks for coming along to the first episode of Let's Get Sexual. And we know that you've been spending days preparing for this episode because it's very important. But let's get the listeners, all two of them, <laughs> introduced, <Thanks guys. laughs> introduced to you. For those that don't know, I have mentioned it previously, Bree's my sister, my younger one. We're basically attached at the hip. Pretty much. But I'm going to get her to give us three words that describe her. Bloody good value. <laughs> three. Bloody good value. <laughs> yeah. You know, no matter how much you pay for me to be your friend or live be in your life, I am totally worth that. Okay, so there you have it, people. Bree's three words that describe her are bloody good value. And you know what? I think that's just classic. Classic Bree. So, with that, beauty. Any other words of wisdom you'd like to share before we get started? Any words of wisdom? Words of wisdom. Um, know your own value, guys. Know your own know value. No, that's probably better than just bloody good. You are great value. Excellent value. I think she should probably listen to her own wise words. <laughs> but... I'm much better at spouting than, than I am taking them on. Um... All right. Well, that was a great introduction. I think you got a little bit of an idea about how this woman rolls. And you'll learn a bit more about her as we go through this episode. So let's get started. Woo! What I kind of want to know first, because it's something we've discussed outside of this episode, is how difficult did you find the task of starting to identify and explore your sexuality story? So some parts were quite easy. The parts that I feel like were always in the forefront of my mind, understanding, I guess, who I am and and things that are generally popping into my memories of being young and how we talked about sex or how sex showed up in my life and relationships and connecting with people. The hard part was when there were questions where I've never delved that deep into my childhood or really fully understanding sometimes belief and messages that I've been told and how that tr- does impact me today. I think that was the most difficult part, having to be really raw and honest with myself about how things still contribute to who I am today, even mm. though I would like to believe that they were in history and uh, didn't still impact me yeah absolutely Mm. I think I've thought a lot about my teenage years and my early 20s and about my sexual experiences in those times and Mm. how they've affected me but I think I've done very little 
work in terms of my childhood mm. and the messages and belief systems I started curate, curating at that time. So what was difficult about this task but was also probably one of the areas I liked the most is that I had to kind of go back and go, okay, well, where were the foundations laid? Mm. Because how I turned up in my teenage years and in my early 20s wasn't just out of the blue, right? Mm. Things happened earlier to that that led to my responses and my reactions to situations. One of the first questions we asked ourselves within this was what influence our primary caregivers have potentially had Mm. on us. Like, how did they treat sexuality and sex? What were the messages we think we've learned from them? So what do, what came out of that for you? Um, probably not as much as I thought I would have. I feel like our parents and primary caregivers were people who, I mean, it was something that wasn't super intense in our life. Like, wasn't like hit you in the face. There's no sort of negative uh, like information discussion around sex and sexuality and it wasn't really positive it was just sometimes there and some things would come up um, around sexuality and in relationships and connection but not always um, a lot it was a lot of the things that were unsaid and sometimes actions we would see which were I guess the messages that we see from our parents the main thing that I remember is just and I think that influenced me growing up was everything was a lot more heteronormative and I think you've said like cisnormative so we always in my mind was always an expectation of there being a a male and a female or a man and woman and that would be a relationship and then they'd try and make it something work and just be two people and and that would be it and so I think for me that's how I viewed relationships and, and sex was something between them and it wasn't really shared and so it was just a really interesting space uh that I like I don't really feel when I was delving deep and deeper into our into our parents, there was some stuff there, but it wasn't as heavy as I felt like I was influenced by peers and society as much. Um, but then I guess I never really talked to them about it because I already felt nervous enough. <laughs> I don't know if they were very receptive to that conversation. I mean, in all honesty, even when a parent starts bringing up sex, they usually shut that shit down. So I agree with you in the term that it felt quite neutral. Mm. Like it didn't feel really negative. It didn't feel really positive. It was a really private thing. Yeah. And although our family was really affectionate, we said I love you a lot. We mm. gave hugs a lot. We were very expressive, I think, physically. I don't think I recognised it at the time as much as I have now and realised not all families are like that. <laughs> what? Yeah. And, Crazy. you know, we grew up with our parents mm. kissing each other. They would uh, make funny comments to each other. They'd giggle with each other, mm. especially when they were in a great mood. And although we mock acted like we hate it, I think we internally loved it. Mm. I didn't realise that that was not the norm for Mm. lots of families. In terms of affection, we learnt quite well. There was a lot of positivity around that. In terms of sex, it just feels like there's a bit of an enigma in my childhood. Mm. I think, like you, I learnt sex a lot more from... And when I say childhood, I'm actually at this age, I'm talking about probably up to the age of five. I don't remember anything around sex. Mm in terms other than self-pleasure but when yeah past that age you go to school suddenly your peers you know you some of you have elder siblings and you bring Mm. that conversation to school you've got teachers suddenly you start watching more tv shows and movies and i think the societal messages and the peer Mm. messages become so much stronger and that's probably because in our family the sex message wasn't that strong yeah 
Whereas some other people potentially might be in a really religious household mm. and have a lot of anti-sex mm. messages. So from day dot, it's ingrained in you. Yeah. Whereas we didn't really have that. Where do you think your most foundational messages came from and what were they? Mm. Such a good question. So I guess it's kind of hard sometimes to pinpoint exactly. Uh, it was just probably a lot of, I just feel like everywhere. Um, whether that was in, in books or what young people thinking around like intermediates that so was age 11 to and 12 would talk about um, movies we would watch and also just guest society in general which then influenced how people talked about sex mm. um, okay, some key messages from all those different channels and areas there's probably more of again I think building on like what a relationship kind of looked like not necessarily what a healthy or an unhealthy relationship looked like just kind of the people who'd be in a relationship uh, talking a bit a little bit about I guess things people did I remember there'd be people having girlfriends and boyfriends at the ages of between 10 to 12 and I thought that was weird uh, and, however at the same time also wanting it because there was that validation from someone wanting to be with you and we had a lot of people in young people relationships and some people were progressing and doing sexual activities and people were just kissing and just hanging out with the person however it was very much like this growth from just being friends to now I guess relationships the difference between having a, a friend who is like a male to being in a relationship was that you were heading towards probably sexual activity yeah. and that was the major difference because you could still hang out with your guy friends all the time however that again would be more platonic um, and didn't have that same distinct like this is the purpose in the end mm. And so that was really like an interesting um, space and other messages it was we've talked around before around like you know math, masturbation that for me I just like remember I always feel like that's been such more of an okay for guys to do mm -hmm. when it's a woman it's behind or a girl you, you keep it behind closed doors yeah and it's just something that's not normal therefore we can feel kind of more gross or it's not something that has been embraced by society as much like it's definitely a guy thing sex has always been like yes it's for males women we are there to pleasure them uh and it's or it's our womanly duty yep exactly you know that old yeah. messages but they they oh, run deep absolutely. they run really deep yeah and because we've never really been around i growing up from up to age 12 was never really around anyone that wasn't generally in um, a long-term relationship that was a male and female. Yeah, like but, you know, I didn't see people having flings all the time with different, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was, wasn't was really an open and diverse space. Yes. Yeah. Yes, mm. and it was, well, to, I guess to all appearances it was a monogamous relationship yes. as well. So it all kind of looked really cookie-cutter. Mm. And relationships weren't really... I didn't really see them as vulnerable and open. And so for me... Sex wasn't vulnerable and open. Because mm. we've talked before, you've always thought of yourself as more prudish. You oh, know, yeah. you didn't really want to talk about sex when no. you were younger. Mm. And you got really uncomfortable when I used to bring up sex. Still do sometimes, yeah. yeah. Definitely. <laughs> but I was really curious about sex. I yeah. wanted to learn more about sex. A lot of my conversations from probably the age of eight mm. were about sex. Mm. My friends and I would talk about mm. it. As I've mentioned before to you, one of my best friends at the time, she was eight and she got her period. Mm. So all of the, like, from eight onwards, things started to accelerate, I think, quite fast in this space. But it was all a really physical understanding of sex, right? Mm. It was this act. I don't think I remember anything about people talking about intimacy or connection mm. or self-respect or self-worth 
Well, we weren't even talking about consent. Yeah. Right. We would we were talking about a physical act, and it was usually about penetration mm. or maybe oral sex. Yeah. But sex was really regimented to this penis and vagina thing, and it was something that you'd kind of have a giggle at, but you'd also be like, oh, I'm going to be doing that when I'm older. Yeah, I really noticed the significant change from that time. And it was brought about by, I think, various areas. It was definitely books I read, being an avid reader. Mm. I think from the age of eight, I was reading books that had sex scenes in them or sexual overtones. So although I might not really understand the concepts of the relationships of things in the book, I remember sex like standing out. Mm. And people started to... I guess, explore sexually mm. from that age, although it might have been kissing more around that age. We were t- When we were talking to older kids, you know, around the ages of 11 or 12, they were starting to explore sexually. You'd hear about, you know, hand jobs, mm. and you'd potentially hear about people having sex when they were 11 or 12. I mean, rumours spread like wildfire and often changed dramatically with each telling. It became, yeah, the hormones coming out at that age really exacerbated... The feelings of, oh shit, even if you're not ready for sex right now, Mm. like you better get ready because it's coming. And if you want to be cool, Mm. then you need to be wanted by somebody else Mm -hmm. and start ticking off that sexual list. Have you been kissed? Have they gone to second base and touched your barely existent boobs? (laughs) And, you know, and, and are you ticking off that checklist? Yeah. So I always felt like there's, actually, if I think about it now, I always felt like there's a bit of a rush and a push mm. as I head into the teenage years or that, that from those tweens to those teenage years. So that's why my first sexual exploration was being taught how to kiss from my two best girlfriends at the age of 10 because I was like, holy shit, mm. this is happening already and I don't know what I'm doing and how about if I'm a terrible kisser? Yep. And so we all just hooked up with each other, you know, start with no tongue and then get straight into the tongue. I remember being told actually... I was pretty good with my tongue, and I was 10. This is by one of my girlfriends. So that was great. <laughs> little validation there. <laughs> validation that for the did win. not do me well at 15 when I actually had my first significant relationship because <laughs> that was a terrible first kiss, and I obviously forgot everything I had learned in that oh. five years. Yeah. But, but, yeah, so I definitely think there was this pressure there, but there was also this level of excitement for me, mm. whereas for you, I think you felt quite different. Mm, it just wasn't something I was interested in. Like, I was probably surrounded by it a lot at the age of 11 and 12, like I said earlier, with the different people having relationships and some people would kiss in front of everyone else and then they just do it in front of... And, and for them, it was probably validation that they were cool and kissing in front of everyone else to notice that they were getting into the space of being older, especially when we were so close to then going to high school or college. And it was... Yeah, just for me, super uncomfortable. I think I really didn't gravitate towards people. I didn't have my first relationship at 11. I know. Um, I think the most we did was hold hands. Ah, next level, hi, how are you? I, yeah, so sex was not on my brain. As I got older, it was also not, and like having relationships wasn't something that I was really interested in. It wasn't like something I needed to do. I was way too focused on myself. And I yeah. thought guys were stupid. I thought they especially from starting to get older and that's all they cared about was sexual stuff. I just didn't understand and I thought that was the only thing that mattered to them. So yeah. I was like, I'm not in that space. We're not going to connect. I can't have good conversations with them. So pretty much was just like, I am above them. Thought I was super awesome. Superiority complex right there. Thinking that I was beyond sex and the people who just wanted to have sex. Like I wonder though, and I could be completely wrong here. Do you think acting in that way at that age 
that was a retaliation to being well potentially i'm not wanted anyway so it's like i'll act i'll superior i don't even want it 100 percent could have been that because we took a lot of our worth at that age into how much other people wanted us yeah and i mean most people still do yeah and it exactly it definitely could have been something i put in place to protect myself i also did always feel quite uncomfortable with and you know, because you talk to me about it, about sexual stuff, and it wasn't something I needed. Having the talk at 12 with mum, uh, I definitely did not want to have that conversation. And when it's in a public place as well, I mean, no one really needs that. I don't think people with papa needed to know. Actually, I was going to talk about like how, how did our parents talk to us officially about sex? Yeah. Because our experiences were quite different. What were we, 12? Yeah, when 12 was when we had the talk. Yeah, so yeah. she took us out to a cafe, obviously separate, because I'm three years older than you. Mm-hmm. Took us out separate. My experience was mum took me out to a cafe had a lovely lunch i was very excited it was a big thing to be taken out to a cafe and then afterwards she tried to sit me down i was like mum don't worry i've got this no i already know all the stuff thanks for the thanks for the meal (laughs) and she was like but but what about what about this do you know this i'm like don't you worry mum. did you actually know all the stuff like that she talked about or tried to bring up well you know what it's really hard to know because probably just shut her down (laughs) but everything she said to me like she tried to talk about the mechanics of it a bit okay and I was like, I know. A lot of the things she brought up, potential. it's hard as well though, right? Because you might conceptually know something mm. but isn't ingrained enough. So consent, be wary, yeah. All like, respect yourself. You, you might think these things, mm. but actually are they ingrained enough and will will you react with those beliefs? Yeah. So, and I'm 12, I'm a know-it-all, okay? Like, yeah. fuck yes. You were different <laughs> to me. I just, did, I just didn't want to know it all. I know, and mum says it was hilarious because compared to all of you, she's like, that was the weirdest uh, experience to have your 12 year old like mum I've got this I've been hiding Mills and Boone's books under my bed and reading them with my best friend for the last couple of years I'm so. just going to interrupt and jump on that quickly going back to mention the books a bit being younger and reading those books what did you learn from them around relationships because for me I just thought they're was this perfect man out there they're going to throw me around and I was going to have <laughs> delicious sex and I was going to be treated like a queen and they're just going to worship me what did you get from them? Well, look, um, the ones that I actually read the narrative of, because most of the time they were shockingly crap. So my friend and I would just skip to the juicy sex bits and be like, yes, rip your pants off. <laughs> Very strong to be able to do that, but, by the way. <laughs> but I think it was, the, it was the same trope, right? It was they didn't like each other at first and mm. she was the strong woman who was telling him no and he was like, oh, her fieriness is getting me going and suddenly they start falling for each other and it's really hot and steamy and there's no actual communication and they're all it's it's bullshit like the whole thing is bullshit and they're all the same they just change their names like dave to gary or whatever <laughs> but i guess i was reading them for almost like research purposes yeah i want to know how to have sex i as uh, a person who masturbated quite a lot mm. I would use those as masturbation material yep. right so actually one thing that we obviously had to answer in our sexuality story was what's our first experience yeah what's our first experience or mm. memory of sexuality or sex mm. and for me it was masturbation and mm. self-pleasure you know from the age of three or four i was using teddies or pillows or sides of couches i don't even remember how i figured out they felt good but you know you could be just in bed and accidentally rub against something and be like oh shit oh my god what was that and so 
that was the biggest theme I think in my sexuality story from a young age it was masturbation I'm not going to call it self-pleasure because although there was that pleasure receptor Mm. and being young it was like candy and it was an instant hit and I was like fuck this is good yeah but the pleasure started turning really toxic because suddenly I started to feel a lot of guilt and I felt a lot of shame and I hated myself Mm. and that started to permeate whatever pleasure was happening so it actually became like more like a self-hate experience Mm. more than self-pleasure which is really sad. Like it took me a long time to move through that. But we didn't talk about masturbation mm. when we were younger. Mm. There's been a huge growth in communication and acceptance of masturbation, particularly of girls and women, mm. in the last decade. Yeah. So before that, there was it was rare to talk about it. And and talking to so many of my female or, or woman friends, it's that it was it was taboo. Mm. Or even if you were quite sexually open masturbation was quite taboo right and so you didn't talk about it with each other so you all sat there thinking of weirdly abnormal (laughs) and that holy shit am i the only one that likes to go at it with a pillow yeah still i thought for so long i was the only one who masturbated with a pillow Mm. until i realized i think like 60 70 percent of us (laughs) masturbated with a pillow that's a curvature yeah (laughs) so that's that was my first sexual experience and what i took out of that is that in some ways sex and and my own personal exploration of sex was negative. Mm. It was harmful. That, I think, laid a foundation potentially for future parts of my sex life until I started to change that story. Yeah. So what when you say future part of your sex lives, how did that show up? Do you have specific memories and times where... I think because I started focusing on their pleasure so much more, yeah. I kind of felt guilty about them touching me I just had a lot of shame, I think, around my pussy. Mm. You know, I remember saying to you, I was—I can't remember what age it was when I told you, but when one of my, I found out that one of my inner labias, um, so my labia minora on one side was longer than the other one, mm. I lost my shit. Mm. I thought it was my fault that I'd masturbated too hard and like pulled the skin of one and it had grown mm. bigger or something odd like that. And I thought, I thought in some ways that it was almost like a punishment yep. for what I had been doing. Although I, I don't rem- I know there were messages out there that said masturbation was bad or that it wasn't at least talked about. So that obviously permeated, I guess, some of my belief system around self-pleasure. But, you know, I look back at that and I go, oh my gosh, I feel so sorry for who I was then thinking that I'd done that. Because yeah. one, they didn't tell us that we all look different. Yeah. They didn't tell us that the when we grew, when we started to get hormones in our body... It would change. Mm. And it's not just your growing boobs. It's not just getting more like curves in you. It's it's like your genitals are going to change. Mm. And mm. it's okay. And you're going to look different from each other. Mm. I think one of the best teachers for me in terms of the body and sex was Cosmopolitan. Mm. And I can't believe I relied on like a magazine <laughs> like that to feel good about my body. Yep. And that it wasn't told to me by the people I love. So mm. I didn't learn it from school. I didn't learn it from teachers. I didn't even really learn it from peers because if I don't know it, they're probably not going to know it. Yeah, And I didn't learn it from our parents. Mm. So it, it took like to get a magazine with a rip out thing in the middle to go, holy shit, this is what, this is what vulvas look like. So sex with other people, I was like, I, I look at normal. Yes. Are they going to notice that one of my like labia minoras is, is bigger than the other? Well, obviously they're going to if they've got bull eyeballs. <laughs> but are they going to shame me? Yes. Are they going to oh. move away in horror? Yeah. And go, oh, put it away in the, de- the devil <laughs> woman. You masturbated way too much as a kid. 
it is asymmetry is not okay exactly <laughs> exactly so mm. it took a long time to be comfortable with my body mm. and to be comfortable with my own pleasure yeah and to get okay with other people also giving me pleasure mm. in that space and focusing on it right because i think the part i worried about is when another person was giving me pleasure is like they are focusing on that point they get to stare at that thing and we all know it it's not that attractive so so when you really don't like what it looks like down there you're like that's that's all they're looking at mm. what about you do you, have any, do you have anything kind of to say around that like how you moved through similar messaging i don't have a lot more to add i mean i wasn't having sexual experiences um i what well, i want to build on what you were saying more is actually just you start talking about the body and mm. we always have conversations about the body yeah. and and how we feel about it. And you're pretty much like hitting the nail on the head. As soon as we start obsessing over a part of our body that we don't accept because we think everyone else cares about it because, A, we have not been validated in a positive way. Mm. Um, or we may hear other people validating their body in a negative way. Yes. Um, we miss out on just accepting and then enjoying what people might do to us yeah. or what we do to ourselves. And body is such an interesting space because we do become obsessive and i know that that was stuff we've both grown up with um we've had difficulties and we've become like i think about our legs and or like my nose i used to think people wouldn't find me attractive because my nose nose was not very structured (laughs) like a blended into my face or my eyebrows can't see them so obviously guys aren't going to be attracted to me due to my eyebrows so my relationship i'm going to just take a tangent on what you're saying um and and my sexuality and relationship story and, and everything around being and connecting with others is i really did also based on what i looked like mm. i was also weird uh, is what I got told by a lot of people, weird and random. So I really looked for external validation, and if I was not getting that, the like a positive external validation, or if someone wasn't liking me, and I just felt judged, then that would eat away uh, at me. And you know, I really just didn't have. And I think that's also why it was help pushing away uh, sex and and getting into that space because I never really felt wanted in that way. So. It's just easier doing my thing. Connecting friends, I was very fortunate to start building close friendships. That was the type of connection to me that was more um, important to build. And building friendships with people where we didn't really have those conversations except to have some crushes on celebrities. That the messaging is just how people treat each other. And I think that's always core. And it is so hard to work through. And I know so many people nowadays continuously having to work through the messages and expectations from society and others around how we should look, how we should act, how we show up, um, and trying to learn to just validate ourselves and not have to be seeking everyone else's validation. I think it's a really important message there about that external validation Mm. and how key and central it is probably Mm. to so many people's stories with sexuality, Mm. any gender. I think we are often seeking the external validation. In terms of the body as well, that's that's key because for me there was a pivotal change mm. about the age of 12 when I, I felt like it moved from my body being my own mm. to my body not belonging to yeah. me. Oh, yeah. My body was, I guess, there suddenly for other people's enjoyment. Yep. It wasn't owned by me. Yep. It could be commented on by anybody. Yep. In fact, it was touched by anybody. Yep. The the first time I realized that, I was 12, I was at intermediate, and I was leaning over to get my shoes out of those shoe cubicles you no, used to I have can't. and have to keep your shoes in. <laughs> and this guy touched my ass. Oh, my God. And I was like, what the hell? Because it had been the first time, I think, that I'd really had that. Yeah. And then his friend was like, ha, he just loves girls with big asses. Mm. And 
I don't think I'd thought about my butt before mm. that time. And I, I could not stop thinking about my ass from that day. And it's, it's a really difficult one because when you are told that other people's enjoyment of you or that validation of you mm. is important, there are two pieces to that experience. One is, oh, I've got something other people like. Yeah. I am valued. Mm. I am worthy. Mm. I'm going to use this to become more worthy in society. Yeah. And then there's the other part that diminishes and devalues and thinks, oh, so because they like this, they can touch it. Yeah. It's not mine anymore. It's an area of shame. It's sexualized now. So it's not just black and white. There yeah. are so many things moving through you in the space. And from that day, you know, it, it just gets worse, I think, as you grow up as a girl. I remember my best friend and I walking a few Ks to a place and the amount of toots and honks mm. we got and cat calls, people asking us for sex. We were 15. And I got more toots and beeps then than I ever did in my 20s. Yeah. The sexualization of young girls mm. is crazy and disgusting. I'm thinking about TikTok, mate. I'm, oh. like, I'm just horrified thinking about oh, the sexualization of all the people who'd be on there. That's the, it's, everything it's, it's, in our life. Everything's hypersexualized. And suddenly it was like, once again, just reiterating that message, my body is not my mm. own. Yeah. So when you think about relationships that you've had and sexual experiences when you were older, more in your 20s, how seeking validation impact how you showed up and how you experience relationships and sex? What did you normally seek from people? Oh, I think I still seek some level of validation. I think most of us still do. Yeah. Is there anything specific that you try to get validated more than anything else? I think multiple areas you want to, like I seek validation in. One, you, you still want, you want them to like your body, mm. right? Your body has been key to your value for so long. Yeah. It's the thing you see every day when you get up. Mm. It's the thing everybody talks about. Yeah. You know, are you overweight? Are you underweight? Mm. Are your boobs big enough? Is your butt big enough? Mm. So as much as you might, as much as I feel like I've done the work on trying to love my body, yeah. it is a struggle every day to love it. Yes. And sometimes I don't love it. And I do still seek that validation. Oh, did they just say I have, like, did they say I have a nice ass? Yeah. I've dated someone who didn't mention my ass. I was horrified. I was like, this is my best asset. How are you not mentioning this? Which was crazy yeah. to me because they said so many other things that yeah. I wanted more they said I was interesting they said I was intelligent they mm. said they had a great time around me mm. the fact that they were acknowledging and appreciating my personality more than these things that to be honest I didn't do anything for they just turned up on my body no you still work hard for that <laughs> still work hard for that <laughs> eat the bread for the booty but yeah I mean that is actually the goal yeah and I really had to check myself when I go, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm still seeking that really, that base part of validation. Mm. And yeah, it's crazy. I mean, like, you know that growing up, I always had a thing about my breasts. Mm. You and Christina always had bigger breasts. So I was hyper aware of my, my own. Mm. And oh, I used to hate the fact they wouldn't grow. Mm. I'd hate that they weren't bigger. I'd always see in all the magazines and all the media, all these women with big breasts. And I was just never going to have that. And I'd do all the, I'd look up on Google, like, You'd get all the breast massage techniques. I think I took this weird pill that was supposed to grow your breasts. And it wasn't until I stopped wearing bras. Yeah. Which, God, that's got to be like four or five years ago that's now. That's insane. Crazy. Fuck. That I realized, that I stopped thinking about my breasts. Yeah. And they just became another part of my body. Mm. I started, I probably think about them as much as I do my hips, which is almost never. I I still know that when I hear from other people that, oh, I like your breasts, mm -mm. I get this little, like, pleasure run. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong yeah, with so. enjoying somebody's appreciation. Yeah. But 
I do have to check myself sometimes and going, mm, okay, but that's not validation. Yes. They're not validating me by saying they like this part of my body. Mm. They're just appreciating something yeah. that is just a tiny part mm. of my whole. Yeah. So you've mentioned to me before how sex has felt a bit like a checklist. Mm. Mm. I guess it just goes back to the resistance I have towards sex because everything is hypersexualized. And oh, and in some ways it's like when I think about there being certain sexual activities that become like a ticks exercise. It's like they don't ev- they don't want you. They want a person that they can do this with, or just to be able to tell people that they've done it, or to feel like they're successful because they've accomplished this. And for them, it might feel like oh, I want to do this with the person I love, or the person that I connect well with, or a person I'm exploring with. From my perspective, I just feel like you just want this so bad. It's, you want this more than you just want to be with the person that you're with and to just explore sex in general. And therefore, there's just this heavy pressure and that they, they almost just want their life to be a porno, which for me, I've never really been comfortable with porn anyway because I don't, I've watched a bit of it. It doesn't look exciting to me. I don't feel like it's a, like a real collaborative, connected, intimate space. So when people just want, I'm like, hey, oh, if you have things you want to do, that is cool. And I think it's important to have fantasies or exploration you want to go with and go into and you want to share that with your partner that's or person that you're exploring with. Super awesome. Why is a person so obsessed with an act? Why do they have to do that? What's they going to bring to their life if they don't do it? Yeah. So what about you? What do you think these beliefs, messages or experiences that you've had are kind of showing up in your life now? Oh, there's a few different ones and and probably some core ones that I have been working through over the past few years. And it really links back to to validation. I've really always sought out my worth through other people. And actually not just like sexually or in in a relationship sense, like am I a good partner or a good friend, but just in general, like am I a good person? Because if someone's always happy, that means I'm doing something right. So I've had to really work through and catch myself always thinking, am I showing up in a way that is intentional that I am happy with? Uh, Am I seeing my own worth in myself? Mm. And leading with that and knowing that if I'm showing up fully authentic and it's who I am, that I am accepting of it. And if someone else doesn't like it, that that is not up to me to decide how they feel about how I show up or how I think or the opinions I have. Yes, I can think about how I may use my tone of voice because it's not always great, uh, or how and how I treat other people, I need to be really accountable to that. However, in the end, I'm like, am I, and also accepting myself and who I was and knowing that who I am now is due to growth throughout my life. However, who I used to be does not dictate who I am today. And I think otherwise I really hold on to it, but I was a prude, so I'm always going to be a prude. Well, there are some parts I am uncomfortable with around sex. However, I have really grown into someone who is more open at having conversations about sex in a relationship. I am probably the person who's more like, let's talk about sex. What does it mean to us? What do we want right now? Like make sex a bit uncomfortable sometimes so you can laugh about it and journey through that together. So validation just in general is something I have had, has really impacted me throughout my life. And I think, I think everyone is, has that. We all just want to be accepted. And that's in all parts of our life. And I have had like some negative experiences um, and, and I guess like sexual and relationshipy experiences or dating experiences that were super uncomfortable and I didn't have boundaries. And I'm still struggling with boundaries. It's a, and non-negotiables. I don't, I haven't set them 
very well or if I do set them I'm very lax so I don't stand up for myself and my rights I'm here to make other people feel better so I have had experiences where I have felt like so forced to do things because that's going to make the other person happy and I'd rather them rather do something that makes me uncomfortable than make them uncomfortable and for them to then judge me and make me upset because of uh, just because I'm setting my boundaries and logically it's like well that's stupid <laughs> like I should take care of me first however when you're in something I hate making people feel like shit or also if they judge me I do not like that but I need to become more comfortable with it and it showed up probably a lot in in like my sex life and relationships and even how I show it with friends sometimes I won't say things because I want the other person to be more comfortable and I will definitely put someone else up on a higher pedestal than myself I think what they think is more important than how I think about myself just in terms of feeling the responsibility of how the other mm. person is experiencing that sexual situation yeah. do you think that's quite a common thing oh how for yes. people to to feel oh absolutely yeah. I feel like so many of us feel like we're accountable for the other person, responsible for how someone else feels. Mm. So if I didn't enjoy something in sex and I voiced it, then the other person would be upset because they'd think that it was all their fault. I mean, I've done that before. Yeah. And I can't say I did it very <laughs> diplomatically yeah. because it has been such a thing not to bring it up. Mm. You know, you can go from enjoying sex and suddenly mm. you don't enjoy it anymore and you just continue to do it for the next yep. 10 15 minutes mm. however long it goes because well one you're in it so didn't you sign up for this mm. two oh but they'll think that there's something wrong with them or they'll think yeah. i don't like them or yeah. they'll reject me afterwards oh rejection or oh but it's my fault mm. and i want them to continue to get their pleasure mm-hmm. so just continue to go just mm-hmm. just just go for it it's only 15 minutes of your life i remember that one time i had sex with such an amazing nice guy I never had this reaction before, but we were having sex and I hated it. I just wanted to scream and get out and it was horrendous. My body was almost like rejecting fully Mm. the sexual experience. Mm. And I continued to go at it because I felt bad. Because, oh, but it's not his fault, you know, and... And he deserves this. He's been nice to me. And then once it was finished, I ran up to the other room and called you and was like, mm. I hated him in that moment. Yeah. Not because he's a terrible person. I I look back now and I know I hated myself. Yes. Yeah. I hated myself because I wasn't in congruence with who I actually am. Yeah. I wasn't being my authentic self. Yes. I wasn't saying to myself, you're worthy enough mm. to go after what you want, right? You're exactly. allowed to say no, even yeah. if you're halfway through sex. Yeah. And if the person is a good person, Mm. they will acknowledge you and hold you in that space and be like, we're stopping this. Because no good person wants to have sex that isn't like a hell yeah. Yeah. We're not both people or multiple people in that situation Mm. are all just like, fuck yes, we're loving this shit. (laughs) It's not about it's not about consent. That is bare fucking minimum. If Mm -hmm. you're just having consensual sex, that's bullshit sex. It doesn't have to be the same amount of hell yeah at each time, you know? Mm. Like, we're all tired sometimes. We're all just like, oh, yeah, I'll have it. Yeah. Like, I'm going to enjoy it, but it's not going to be, like, mind-blowing potentially because I'm stressed or whatever. But the fact you've got to respect yourself in yeah. those moments. I don't know about you, but, like, it's still an ongoing work piece oh, of work. Yes. And I can imagine it is for so many people yeah. that the amount of women I talk to in particular yeah. who take so much responsibility of themselves about that sexual moment oh he doesn't want sex oh it's definitely because of me i'm not attractive anymore Mm -hmm. i did i have gained like a couple of kgs so it's 
it's my fault. Mm. Mm. I feel that. That is, there's so much work for all of us to do. So much work. space. What are your thoughts about communication and how important do you think it is for us owning our sexual story and moving forward? Number one thing, mate. Yep. Hell yeah. How? Yeah. That is scary. Vulnerability sucks. (laughs) It sucks. So important. Read some Brene Brown. Um, Love you, Brene Brown. (laughs) Big fan. Check out her podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck, mate. It is so important. It's so funny because we all tell ourselves stories in our mind all the time. Our brain is so powerful. Yes. And our mind is so powerful. So we tell, we create stories when any situation is happening. So kind of going back to like, we're not being validated or we'll do something in sex because we want the other person to feel good. One, we don't know if it's going to make them feel good. No. We don't even know if they want it right now. Yeah. If you have not communicated with them, how do you, either of you know where you're at? Exactly. You could both be having the shittest time at sex, but you think the other person is having a good time, therefore you'll keep going. Because all you've done is tell yourself a story of what you believe based on all the beliefs and messages you have been told about sex and relationships since you were young. So it all comes back. Like, And I guess this is why we're talking about the sexuality story, our sexuality stories, because all those messages from when we were young and as a teenager and in our 20s feeds into how we show up today and communication is one of the scariest ways to show up because someone can not listen and someone can reject what we're saying. And all we want to do throughout everything that within our lives is to be accepted and have a sense of belonging. Therefore, if we communicate and it's not accepted and someone else doesn't connect with that and belong with that, We'd rather just not open up. And our ego ego is going to be showing up and it's going to be saying, no, 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 don't do this. Yes. This is way too risky. This is a danger zone. Mm. And so to get through that that ego is one of the hardest things. I know that the times I have opened the communication channels up, that I have shown up and been vulnerable, that I've allowed other people to be vulnerable. Mm. That is when I've had the biggest breakthroughs. That is when I've been the most seen, that I've been the most accepted. Yeah. And I have to always remind my ego that, like, mm. yeah, this is scary. We know that. We've yeah. done this. We've been down this road. Yeah. But remember how much reward there potentially is. Mm. Yep. There's also rejection. Mm. There is also, there's so much fear around this. But there is also the biggest reward. And you're not going to get that reward at all if you don't play that game. So I agree. Without communication, I don't think I would have been able to change much of my sexual story. I mean, communication with sexual partners is a huge one, like you said. Just even saying, this is where I like it. Yes. Yep. It's so hard to say that. You're like, but they're trying so hard. <laughs> I don't want them to feel bad. You are not accountable no. and responsible for their feelings. I mean, they've talked up that, that tongue game and you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> digging yep. for Atlantis down there? I don't know. <laughs> but if you do find a pot of gold, please share it. Uh, <laughs> we would love the gold. <laughs> but the big thing is as well, mm. is that we've got to be willing to accept that. Yeah. The same as much as we want to give it. Mm. You know, what we've talked about this before. It is crazy when, particularly when you've been in long relationships like we've had, and we've gotten so used to one type of body, and we're like, oh, this, I'm, I'm bomb at this. My head game is on point. Mm. And then you have to go to another body. Like when you finish that relationship and you're getting back out there in the field and you have a next sexual partner, and they're like, well, that's that's way too intense, or oh, this is not intense enough. Mm. And the sh- that I don't know about you, but I feel rejected. Yeah. Like, oh, I thought I was really good at that. Mm. I always got compliments. Yeah, validation for something, <laughs> validation. and no longer validation for that. And Where is your worth? 
we internalize it yeah. and we say, oh my God, I'm, I'm shit. They must have been lying all that time rather than going, everybody is different. Yeah. And, and you've got to allow people to show up and say, hey, this is how I like it. Mm. And also don't even just wait for them to do that. You know, to not be like, hey, I really want to give you pleasure. Mm. What gives you pleasure? What would you like me to try? And if they don't know, because who knows what their experiences have been, mm. you've got to be willing and open to experiment yep. and to explore mm. with your sexual partners. Mm. Be willing to laugh. Sex is is sometimes hilarious. Mm. The noises that come oh out, sometimes the smells. <laughs> sometimes you know you might break a couple of beards or a few springs, or you try the sexual position you've seen in somewhere and it does not work at all. Yeah, you know, if you can't be willing to laugh at yourself or with each other, yeah. you're really limiting yourself mm. because. Laughter helps reduce that feeling of rejection. Yeah. Reduce that feeling of failure. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to show up in that space really vulnerably and also connect with a person. One of the questions we worked through was if you could go back and talk to yourself as a child, what would you change about the sexual story you learned? Like what messages would you want them to know? Go for gold lash. We're here to All right. listen. So there are a few ones that stood out to me. One, your body is your own. Explore it, accept it, love it. And all the great things it does for me. What about you? Give me one. Do you have one? <laughs> Do you want me to go next? Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sexuality is vast and beautiful. Get to know your sexuality. Respect other people's sexuality. These are gold, by the mm, way. I know. Write this down. And remember, you are not stuck in your sexuality story. Mm. Okay? It is a moving, ever-changing piece of your life. Sex is not just physical, it can be intimate, vulnerable, and full of connection. It's also not just about penetration. It's like, wow, sex is so much more than that. Foreplay is also not before sex, okay? Foreplay is part of sex. Mm. And it's up to you and your sexual partners about what you want to be doing and how long you want to be doing it for. But just focusing on the whole is taking away so much pleasure points. And it's taking away so much ownership of other parts of your body. Mm. Cool. Got that out there. Yeah. <laughs> she is Listen up, children. <laughs> Masturbate with love. Oh, God. Not, it's not just for a quick hit. It's not to be full of guilt and shame. It is a beautiful area of self-exploration and self-pleasure. Do you have some now? No. <laughs> no. You've just got lots of gold and I'm like, yeah, what's this? You do not need to be in love to have sex. What? You do not need to be in a relationship to have sex. You can do it whenever the fuck you want. There are no rules. It's just about your choice. Yes. It's about their choice. Mm. It is about coming together and choosing in that moment. Virginity is a myth. Virginity is a damn myth. Virginity so we will talk is about whole, that later. Yeah, that's a whole nother episode by itself. The myth of virginity. Yeah. Sex is beautiful and fluid. You don't just have to do it with one person. You don't have to be doing it with the person of the opposite sex. It is about what you want. Mm. And you know what? You don't even have to want sex. Yeah. You can have a relationship with somebody, mm-hmm. a romantic relationship with somebody, and no sex involved. Yeah. Like, you're still a sexual being, mm-hmm. even if you don't have sex the act. Yeah. Sex, yeah, you own your sexuality and exactly. it, is it is diverse. And don't let other people dictate what it has to look for you. Exactly. Um, yeah, just just own it and trust in yourself. Um, obviously a lot of messages that were fucked up and we've got to unlearn because <laughs> we need to relearn a shit oh, ton of messages. Key message. Your sexual story is not someone else's sexual story. Respect differences, respect the boundaries, mm. and don't expect somebody to show up and know your sexual story communication being key own your juiciness there is nothing wrong with you if you want sex more than your partner 
there is nothing wrong with you. Also, remember that if your sexual partner is a guy, that they are not the caricatures in movies, okay? They are also not, like, they're allowed to not want sex. They are allowed to have stress affecting their libido. If they aren't getting hard or something, don't make it about you. Be open and loving and communicate with them. Guys also have issues in regards to sexuality and it's really important to respect that. They don't have to be the hypersexualized, very manly version of what TV shows and movies show us. Okay, I think that was whoop, whoop, most of my messages. You sure I have a couple in there? You know? Oh, you know, you just, you, just, you just pretty much hit all messages anyone should really go back <laughs> and tell themselves, to be honest. Okay, so one thing that if you've done any kind of self-discovery work, often they'll get you to visualize your higher self. So we thought it was really important to do the same here. We've talked about some of the changes we've had from our original childhood story, moving through our teenage years, till now what we're still working on. But our higher sexual self is the goal. It is who we are intrinsically, but all of the layers and bullshit of society and our life have kind of come on top of it and stopped us from reaching it right now. But we can get there, and so we really want to own it and we want to name who our higher sexual self is. So we've done that. And we're going to share it with you. Right, here we go. I am full of love for me and my body. I treat myself with respect, recognizing and embracing my desires. I turn up fully in all my sexual experiences, with myself and with others. I am open and vulnerable, embracing intimacy and thriving off connection. I don't have takeaway sex. My four yeses are always ticked. I am fluid and passionate, raw and sensual. I give and take and I'm always exploring and learning. I know that my sexual story is always changing, and I'm in control of it. Mmm. Damn delicious. Delicious. That could change. Mm. I can only write that story with what I know right now. Mm. And what I know in three years' time, three months' time, could be quite different. Yeah. She might be, I'm going to be a sexual animal. Mm. Don't stop me now. Yes. <laughs> stop me now. I'm having such a good time. I'm having a ball. Okay, there we go. Um... Yeah. Bring it, Bree. Oh, I will bring the fire. Bring it. Rain eyes. it down. Woo! Um, mine is long. So, oh, jeez. Yeah. Awesome. I love yeah. it. Holy shit. Okay. Well, I didn't have a bullet point in. So, my, I was like, oh, chica. My higher sexual self is a wahine who has set very clear boundaries and non-negotiables in all relationships. How, how I just generally show up in my life. I recognize that if someone is resistant to these, it is not my duty to explain my decisions, but to uphold them. I acknowledge that people will make their own judgments and will pull away from the way I show up and accept this because they are allowed to do what is right for them. I will not change in my worth or feel less worthy because of not being validated by someone else. Mm. I am continuously being open to new ways of exploring sex, connection, and and intimacy, and am vulnerable within these spaces. I identify what works for me and accept that some things just won't, and I do not have to push myself into a space that does not align just to make someone else happy, nor will I force someone else down my path. I am a sexual being who loves and embraces physical touch and intimacy with others. I appreciate that relationships do not come in only one form and love how people express themselves in the way that they value. I stand up for the rights of others and uphold a standard for how people get treated and how they respect me. I am all about people understanding where their own desires or beliefs come from. I make space to appreciate my body and to worship the way she shows up and what she does for me. I also love to learn more around what feels 
right and enjoyable and I waste no time on just taking it I mean sex because I'm afraid of hurting someone else's feelings by telling them what I like. We are better off communicating and both having a great time. I will embrace and show my body with pride. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. And what it shows you is that there are so many different ways of tackling this because everything you said, I would say too. Mm. Like, I loved those messages that you came out with. And that's another good reason for why you could share this or work through your sexuality story with another person. Mm. Because they've got so many amazing things to share, mm. especially when you're talking about your higher self. There's nothing wrong with going, I love that. Yeah. That's also who I want to be. Well, we should probably wrap up there, although I imagine we could go on forever. So once again, Brie, thank you so much for recording this podcast with me. Thank you for having me. Ooh, and sharing with everyone some of your deep inner thoughts and experiences. So many of them. Mm. <laughs> As we finish, though, you're not done. I have Great. a couple of parting questions I'd like to ask you. Question one. What do you think are the benefits of exploring your sexuality story? Some of the key benefits is, for me, is truly understanding a lot of the beliefs systems that we have understanding where that comes from and just recognizing our whole life and knowing that we can change it and recognizing where we want to go to so mm -hmm. just overall it's fully understanding ourselves on a deeper level i love that a little bit of introspective work never hurts <laughs> i can love it and from that do you have some insights for people who may want to do the same themselves probably really key is just well when you're doing it uh, for those who are really interested be kind to yourself mm. there will be lots coming up there'll be lots of things uh, that will, you may have hidden from yourself for so long or weren't even aware of mm. that that was a belief you held or a, a potentially an issue or a challenge in your life so be kind to yourself and be honest because through being honest with yourself that's where the real uh, changes can start coming so through so true mm. love it and what is one area of sexuality that you want to explore Ooh, such a good question ah uh, far out i think um i mean there's just so many different areas eh? but one of the core ones is probably continuously working on uh, exploring my love for myself and my body. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And whatever exactly that looks like, we don't know. But, exactly. Yeah. As we've mentioned in this episode, that has been an ongoing relationship mm. as it is for so many of us. So, yeah. I hear you and I probably should do the same. Okay. Well, thanks everyone. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We had a lot of fun creating it. We will catch you back here next week for another episode of Let's Get Sexual. Let's Get Sexual. Mm. As mentioned, thanks everyone for listening to this episode. If you liked it, feel free to like, favorite, subscribe, or provide feedback, whatever your little heart desires. And as mentioned in the beginning of this episode, if you are interested in exploring your own sexuality story, I'll be posting the process as a separate episode after this episode is released. Feel free to check out the Instagram page as well. It is letsgetsexual.podcast, where I'll also post a shortened version of this process and other awesome sexuality-inspired content, including what awesome episodes we have coming up. For now, kia kaha, kia maya, kia manawa nui. Be strong, be brave, be steadfast.